listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. All right. All right, so what has everybody seen these days? Oh, God, what have we seen these can days? I, can I start? Too much. Yes. Uh, Vanessa and I, the girlfriend, for those who don't know, um, we went and saw... Um, Hi, Vanessa. We went and saw a special screening of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, yeah. In theaters a couple weeks ago, cool. Wow. Which we have never seen on the big screen, nice. so it was awesome. Um, longer, or sorry, I shouldn't say it's not as long as I originally thought because I thought it was like this four-hour-long movie. It's really just it's about three mm. hours, um, and they also cut out the intermission um, because normally there's supposed to be a fifteen-minute intermission, the and they they even have a slide for it, but they did the intermission for like ten seconds and then they <laughs> pressed on through. Um, if you guys haven't seen, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It is a comedy epic. Uh, it's got every, literally every major comedian who was alive, who had worked from like the 1920s all the way through the 1960s. Buster Keaton is in it, wow. makes a, a cameo. Jack Benny. Uh, the main players are like Jonathan Winters, Milton Berle. Um, Sid Caesar's in it, isn't he? Sid Caesar, of oh, course, Sid Caesar. Class. Carl Reiner makes a cameo nice. in it. Buddy Hackett. Um, cool. What's his name? Uh, Mickey Rooney is one of the mm-hmm. main guys. Who's that guy? Yeah. Like, it's just, and oh, of course, Ethel Merman is, is the, is at her perfect, like, she, like, she's the most annoying person in the movie. And being Ethel Merman. Being, being <laughs> Ethel Merman. And it's so, like, she just bra- embraces it and just, like, is, she basically, she's the nagging mother-in-law and she's oh. to a T in that movie. She does so good in those roles, though. She's, she's great. Talented. Jonathan Winters was a, was a fucking genius. And mm-hmm. so he was great with all his, he chewed the scenery. Everyone chewed the scenery. In fact, they California all just, fresh eggs. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and Milton Berle has his bit. I will say one little story about this is because at the beginning, the whole movie opens up with a car crash on yeah. the one of the California freeways, and they all go to help the the driver. And the driver says, "There's all this money stashed somewhere, and you know, you can go big find it." W. Big W. Big W. But <laughs> when everyone pulls over, Milton Berle says, "Oh my God, that, did you see that car? It just went sailing right out there." And he says that line. He said, "I'm going to say that line like as many times as I can." <laughs> So he ends up saying it like five times within like a two minute period. It just, it just it just went sailing right out there, and it's fun to see once you know that story to see him like just chew the scenery in that scene, and everyone just tries to outdo each other in small little yeah, ways. Before um, before you could swear, the the repetition device in comedy was overused. Yeah, but it yeah. worked though. Honestly, none of these gags get tired, and and they hold up after fifty years too. That's what's awesome. Clarifying question: This was the Rat Race movie, right? This was the movie that Rat Rat, that Rat Race was inspired That's by. Right? Oh, yes. I did watch this movie. I think I was in like a a, a, a haze or something. Yeah, when Rat I Race is a far. <laughs> I watched, I've seen it. I thought I watched it a while ago. Yeah. So Rat Race is a far inferior film to Dude, this. All I remember from Rat Race is that Whoopi Goldberg was in it, and Jonathan too, right? Cleese was in it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Hilarious. Seth and Seth Green, Seth Green, Jonathan Lovitz. and Rowan Atkinson, Jonathan Lovitz, John Lovitz, Jonathan Lovitz, Breckin Meyer in that one too. Breckin Meyer's in it too. Yeah, Breckin Meyer and Amy yeah. Smart. Amy Smart, I think, mm-hmm. is it for no? I think that you're thinking of Road Trip because they were both in that movie together. Uh, no, I she wasn't she like flying a helicopter and she maybe gets Breckin Meyer. But there's also tons of like. Kathy Bates is in that movie for two oh, seconds. Yeah. Like, it's like it's a cameo. It's like oh, a, and John yeah. Lovitz. One thing I really, really liked about it's yeah. a mad, mad. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, world um, is that whole like, kind of opening sequence of introducing each character in their right. own kind of vehicular, you yeah. know, uh, 
moments crucial right? to the ensemble film the cutaways yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and I just really liked how each character had their own sort of you know moment yeah. in the spotlight I thought that was really just classic filmmaking there, there's a uh, there's a documentary about it and they said oh, that yeah. when they were getting ready to do the table read they got two scripts <laughs> one was and they were both like thick nice. like huge scripts one was entirely dialogue the other was all the action beats. Wow. So it, that was the only way they figured they could make this tremendously huh. uh, ambitious project work, basically. Mm. And by the way, I also forget to mention, Spencer Tracy gives uh, a tremendous performance. I think it was this, that was his second to the last movie. I think oh. it was right before yeah. Guess, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. Awesome. And he, who would think that he could be play funny, but he totally plays funny as a straight man so well. How was it That's on the nice. big screen? Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Really, really fantastic. We went to one of those special theaters where you can get like the the couches with the recliners and all that stuff. Oh. So we were really comfortable. Um, it played really, really well. That's great. Um, yeah. Um, the music is a little dated, but you would expect that, you know, uh -huh. going into a film like that. I And I thought I was going to be bored because uh, I'd seen the movie a few times already. Yeah. Wasn't it, it does a great job of pushing along the pace and keeping That's you interested. Awesome, Sarah, what'd you so see? Cool. What have I been... I So... One that I saw that was really notable was uh, Montage of Heck, which is the <gasps> Kurt, Cobain, yes. Kurt Cobain documentary. Yeah. God, I'm having a hard time talking today. Isn't it just emotional? Oh, my God. I, like, was depressed afterwards. I I hear it paints uh, currently love in a very bad light. No. Um, you're thinking of uh, Soaked in Bleach. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it, Montage it, of Heck was, if anything, complimentary to Courtney. Yeah. She, because they actually, inter it was, um produced by Frances Bean actually. Mm -hmm. So um, oh, okay. and so she there was a part where Courtney Love is on there and she was brutally honest about yeah. certain parts of their life that she has been um you know really antagonized for but there was a lot of um footage of Kurt Cobain like flat out just defending Courtney Love and who she mm -hmm. is and why he loves her. Mm -hmm. And so um it was it was really painful just to see kind of him being troubled from the get-go really totally. yeah. um and so that was that was really notable but then the other thing i've been doing in order to balance out the <laughs> vast level of depression that i got from that uh was i've been catching up on a lot of the comedies that i missed that came out in like the past year so nice. i finally have seen spy train wreck and vacation oh, oh nice yeah. train wreck was so fucking good train Love wreck was train wreck. really really yeah. funny a amy schumer yeah has wow. totally not only is she a great writer, but yeah. she's actually a damn fine actor, too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Bill she's Hader, trained. too. Bill Hader, you see, as this amazing character actor who really, like, uh, embodies these big characters. But he just played, like, a normal guy in this movie, and he mm -hmm. really killed it, too. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, that was really good. Spy was awesome. It was so <laughs> damn funny. That. That Jason Statham <laughs> was great in it. But Melissa McCarthy, like, oh. just knocked it out of the damn park and just yeah. kind of shows why she, honestly, why she is a comedy powerhouse. And anybody yeah. who wants to disagree with me can bright to me and suck it. I really enjoyed um, her kicking Rose Byrne's ass because oh, God, it was yeah. kind of like comeuppance for what happened in Bridesmaids. Sure. Right. Oh, yeah. I fucking yeah. hated Rose Byrne in Bridesmaids yeah. just because of that. You know, yeah. I really well, was kind of happy how that turned out. What's that line? Out. Like, she has this like really like nice scuba like wetsuit and it's like, what are you like working for SeaWorld or something? Like, <laughs> it's like, what are you training dolphins? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cute. And then, um, and then Vacation was a hell of a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. Thank oh. you. And I, I loved it. I was cracking up watching that movie. I mean, it's there were some parts that were obviously clearly nods and parallels to the first movie. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 
I mean, even when you Which? see Chevy, when you see Chevy Chase at the end, and he's just so weird, yeah. like he like it's like he'd gone completely off the rails and like was probably on a shit ton of drugs, and like it was great. Um, That's great. But like it was just kind of like one of those really good traditional laugh out loud comedies that, yeah, the humor is going to be really stupid, but if you go into it with no expectations and just allow yourself to go along with the ride and laugh at. Um, you know, Chris Hemsworth's giant dong. Um, <laughs> Gotta love that Hemsworth dong. Then it's you didn't, Do we know you if laughed? that was a prosthetic I just, or not? I just cowered in been. fear. And I was in the theater, too, in so fear. people saw me cowering. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it had to have been a prosthetic because I don't think that physically one could... I thought, could, no, I thought I'd, Peter Dinklage played his dong in that movie and was just like... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, Roxy, what about you? Um, I have been perusing Netflix a lot frequently, um... Lately, and I watched this really cool documentary called Finding Vivian Meyer. Mm. Okay, and it's a really great sort of intro- uh, retrospective about this uh, photographer, who uh, all of her work was discovered posthumously, and it was discovered at a like uh, estate sale. And this guy who loves going to estate sales and just finding out about people, he ended up finding all these negatives of this, you know, undiscovered photographer. And he Uh. went to all these museums to try to shop him around and they finally got shown. And in his discovery of who she was, because he just went through all of her stuff, you know, um, he found out that she had this incredible life as a nanny, Mm. but she was completely antisocial. So she was this antisocial person who nobody knew, like... Where, like, where she was from and who she really was. But she nannied for all these different families in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And during that time, she would take all these amazing photographs. And uh, he found out, he actually tracked down all the families that she had nannied for. And mm-hmm. he interviewed all these, you know, kids um, that are now adults. Yeah. And asked them about their experience of Vivian. And they all had such incredible things to say about her in terms of how strange and just eccentric and i actually almost abusive she really was to these really wow. yeah that she um she definitely suffered from some sort of like you know uh, psychiatric disorders that sure. were undiagnosed yeah um mm. and there was some like trauma and stuff like that sh- that she had not worked through it's an incredibly profound sort of like psychological just I don't know, exploration of this really unique artist and all of her art, her career as a artist. I mean, she should have been, she could have been one of the greats, Yeah. but she kept all of her work private. She Mm. kept it meticulously hidden away. Um, And she had all these eccentricities and and pieces about her that uh, these families, these kids, they had, they didn't understand. Um, And you see it, how it played out in her photography. And it's just an incredible, um, just documentary about an incredible person um that i i feel kind of i don't know ambivalent about the fact that Mm. like she wasn't exactly a good person because of how she like treated these kids and how she like didn't get the help that she needed and she ended her life in a really kind of like oh you know lonely and decrepit way like Mm. some of the best artists are tortured souls yeah exactly but and the fact that she never got the recognition that she deserved for some incredible work it's almost Mm. like a vincent van gogh kind of situation yeah Yeah. so i was totally enthralled by she cut her ear off and fed it to the children (laughs) i hope not (laughs) yikes um i definitely watched that i started a new series um called love Mm. and uh it's produced by judd apatow that one was pretty good yeah i went through that 
Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it at the end of it. You know, I haven't finished it quite yet, but okay. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I mean, it, it's good. It's one of those ones because I feel like there's that trend right now on, yeah. on certain TV shows where it's like, um, it's like kind of like the, it's a very hipster millennial type oh, totally. tone where it's like not an outward comedy. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of a comedy for lack of a better term type thing, but honestly, yeah. it's like a lot of day in the life kind of stuff. And, it's more Chekhovian, it sounds and like, like. And like weird yeah. things happen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're just kind of like. Yeah. I don't know if it, the weird thing about it is it feels very middling. Like at no point do mm. you feel like angry, sad, <laughs> happy, whatever. You're just like. Now I've watched that. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> like that's how it feels, right? Yeah, I've had yeah. I've had experiences one, with shows like that too, where the, yeah. and I generally don't watch a second season if it didn't make me feel anything like that. I mean the the Andy Dick Subway ex- adventure that oh she that goes one was on, pretty funny. That was hilarious. That was pretty funny. That was a nice highlight. For that's me. a show I'd watch. Andy Dick Subway Adventures. It's just a lot of blowjobs and cocaine. I yeah, mean, actually, I want to watch that show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then one more thing, I've been watching a documentary now. <laughs> oh God, that shit's funny <laughs> with Fred Armisen it's and so um, funny and Bill Hader. Yeah. Oh my God, the Grey Gardens parody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was fucked up. It's, oh god, that's if you guys are not watching that, it's on IFC, but it's on yeah. Netflix now. It's so, on oh Netflix. my god, nice. that's great. All right, Sean, your turn. All right, so I've spent a lot of time since our restaurant's been closed for remodel, oh. catching up on the Flash, which means I, I just finished the first season recently, which means I've been crying a lot. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I'm catching really up do. on stuff on DVR like Gotham, and uh, let's see. I also went on a Netflix binge like Roxy did, except I've been doing a bunch of stand-up comedy. Nice. And last night I just watched Patton Oswalt's oh. new stand-up special, which is a return to form. It's better than the last two that he's done. It's Ooh, it, And it's so sad that. to think what happened with his wife Yeah, like just a day or two before that got released. Oh. Um yeah, it's terrible. I love Patton Oswalt, and his wife was uh, was a, an artist in her own right. She had an awesome website where she wrote about true crime stories, uh, ones that are cold cases, ones that uh, and and other ones that are still in investigation. But she, you know, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is. And to think that how he's going to kind of move on. I think there were comparisons made to Rick Moranis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gave yeah. up his to career see whether he'll, his wife yeah, whether he'll. Yeah. Step out of the limelight and just raise his daughter. His daughter. Yeah. Well, I'm also just worried about yeah. him too because he's been very open about his own battles he's, with depression. Yeah, depression yep. too. Right. And when, like a lot of stand-up comics have. Yeah, sure, but it, when he's so candid. Oh no, he is. Yeah. He's fantastic. There's a reason yeah. why he is probably one of the most beloved comics at the time. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. right now. Yeah. I feel like it's like him and Louis C.K. that are probably the most sort of like just renowned for that type of comedy. Yeah. yeah, they are so candid and and so understandable and just very I don't know relatable with with what they go yeah. through and how they they portray yeah. it in comedy. They're both so interesting because they they have this very observational and very cynical view of the world, and yet they also don't. They 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 also have this really they're upbeat also, and positive. And they're view also like they're too. yeah they're cynical. But they're also wildly compassionate. Yeah, yeah, that's and what so, it is. Well and said. so what it is, it's that yeah. they are very progressive yeah. and and really kind of see the 
baseline of humanity in everybody and everything Mm -hmm. which is yeah they do such a good job with that yeah yeah oh and also i forgot to say i also have watched the blu-ray of star wars the force awakens like six times oh Oh, my god how much sperm have you lost (laughs) (laughs) quite a bit quite a bit uh, let's just say this there's new texture on the walls in the living room Oh, God. <laughs> so people come over, you say, it's just a light spackling. It's spackling. Yeah, yeah, light spackling they're like, you, you should paint better. That's really flashing. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. It's like you like painting jokes. You like do a, you turn Jeez. on a black light and all of a sudden it's like a Jackson Pollock painting on the wall. Yep. Uh-huh. Sorry, Aunt Teresa. Spells out Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else I watched the other day? Because I had to. I was going through my giant wall of DVDs and Blu-rays and landed on the original Terminator. Oh. oh. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So dun, dun, on dun, dun. that dun, dun, note. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Roxy Noberry. And I'm Sean Moriarty. Well with, done. With the segue. Yeah. So what about the Terminator? Why are we talking Terminator? Well, I mean, it's huge because, first of all, it, well, I mean, it launched the career of James Cameron. Oh. Who, that's I don't who know. Arguably... Arguably, Piranha 2, The Spawning, launched <laughs> James Cameron's career. Well, Piranha working for Roger I mean, here's, here's the thing. Every director usually has one or two features under their belt before they do the film that really launches them and makes them uh, a more well-known name mm. in the industry. So, yeah, Sean, while Piranha 2 may have been his first feature film... Um, and an excellent piece of filmmaking, if I do say so myself. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a big deal for a couple reasons. One, it kind of solidified... The, the the blockbuster that had already been kind of formed in the early days with Jaws and with mm. Star Wars, right? This movie was kind of like the linchpin that, like, this is a thing now. Yeah. But not only that, but also because it, it was an independent film, mm-hmm. right? It was shot for a very meager budget, and yet, which for the most part, some, most of the effects still hold up, except for, like, the, the stop motion <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. The makeup effects, too, when he's fixing bad. his eye, are pretty bad, too. Yeah. Um, if you have it on VHS, people, watch it on that, and it doesn't look as bad, but when you see it in HD, you're like, yeah. oh, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Yeah, like the scene where he's um, looking in the bathroom mirror, or he's yeah, like, yeah. It's like it, it keeps switching back and forth between Arnold yeah. and then the prosthetic. Yeah, and yeah that it's, was, it's that interesting was really bad. because of the way it was shot. When you watch it in higher def, it looks almost grittier Ew. because of that. Because, it's, well, just because I also think the film, and when they went back to the original master of it, yeah. like it's, it's film. And so, does Linda Hamilton look angrier? I think your hair looks a little more fierce. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so we're talking not about Terminator, but James Cameron. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I brought this topic up because you love James Cameron. It's okay. I wouldn't go that far. It's okay, Sarah. I I, he's been married a couple times. There's hope for you. A couple. (laughs) He cannot. Count them. Three. No, I think no, no, no. Catherine Bigelow was his third wife. Four. Count them. Then Linda Hamilton. Yeah, and Linda, Linda, he was married to Linda Hamilton for like eight months too. His so marriages no, no. are as for like, like eight years. You mean? No, they were together for several years. They were only married for eight months. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I brought this. I brought up James Cameron because he recently announced that um, he is his next project is to make four. More Jesus. Avatar movies. Count them. Which we need so badly. And I know. <laughs> and so I'm, I kind of wanted to bring this up because I wanted to see how we got from James Cameron doing Piranha 2 and Terminator. Uh, <laughs> Terminator. To, to, you know, obviously making some of the, like, two of the three top grossing movies of all time. And then 
getting to making more of these freaking avatars, which admittedly, yes, obviously, since that first one had such a high, you know, it made so much money, obviously, you kind of want to see what you can get away with that. At the same time, the mm. thing that made that movie so important was because of the technological achievement. But once we get past that, there was no story there to really be that I yeah. mean, I know some people disagree with me, but like, oh no, this, it was Pocahontas like, in three D. Yeah, the story wasn't that compelling, so why do we need? It? I, I don't know. And same thing with I think Titanic too. The biggest draw was the fact that it was such a huge technological achievement at the time, and yeah. it, and it happened to have a better story. But you look back on it now, and I'll argue Which, that Leo and Kate were a big part of oh, that. Oh, sure. Draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting that you're bringing that up when mm -hmm. you bring up the te technological stuff because that actually brings us back to his roots. Oh no! That's, yeah, I was I gonna mean, say we need to establish him yeah. as a person. Like yeah, how no, he I'm got just, to be a filmmaker saying, in the first place. I'm more of just setting the scene as of the context of the yeah. conversation to address the 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 Avatar thing. I mean, first off, it took the, him, and we'll get to it when we get to it as we talk about his films. Yeah. But it took him ten years to get Avatar, and mostly because the technology wasn't where it needed to be yet for him to be able to actually make the movie. And we don't know if he didn't have like this massive outline for a series of Avatar films that he was developing along the way. He's also been working on a, on a version of Battle Angel Alita for over 10 years. Battle that... Angel has now been postponed because of the Avatar movies. Yeah. He, had, he had an Avatar oh. sequel in mind and knew where he wanted the story to go. Yeah. And because of whatever happens in the production it... room, he has decided to extend it. It was originally supposed to be like maybe like two movies but now they're right. extending it isn't uh isn't it a fox property i think so yeah i think fox is just trying to regain some of its correction he was married five times five, five times, times. Okay. Oh, but i think they're trying to probably five trying to get five times <laughs> so to answer your question so is is avatar a fox property yes it is fox yeah okay property so then, of my heart given what the, the failures they've it. had with fantastic four and they might be trying to like boost up some of their sci-fi cred because that's what Maybe. they're kind of known for. Maybe. But um, yeah, X-Men content is carrying that studio right now. Yeah, well, a little bit, yeah. But um, going back to his origins, because he's actually a Canadian. He's from Ontario. Yeah. Uh, who Sorry, moved, booty guys. He moved to the States, particularly California, when he was 17. He enrolled in uh, a community college in the Fullerton, Anaheimish area. And eventually just kind of wandered through and dropped out. But what he did end up doing is as he was working a bunch of these menial jobs as a truck driver and production assistant, production assistant, all these different things, he got really fascinated by film. And what he would do is he would go to the USC library and he would read books mm -hmm. uh, about or even and about film technology. Oh, yeah. And they would let him for many of them. They would let him photocopy it. But for sometimes he would just take copious notes. I mean, it wasn't just books. It was I mean, it was like grad student papers and things like right, that. Like yeah. he was he was like getting down into the nitty gritty periodical section of the basement yeah. of the library. <laughs> so when you look at it from that, when you, if you look at it from the the perspective of a guy who is fascinated by how films are actually made mm -hmm. it would make complete sense to think that he would make all these big special effects spectacular films where the story kind of takes a little bit of a backseat um not all but not through all of his films because titanic i think is it's kind of equal i think with true lies it's also kind of equal mm -hmm. the terminator films yeah, I could see that. You know, Avatar. You yeah. watch your fucking mouth, Brian. Terminator Two has an amazing script, <laughs> and I agree the with idea that. behind the first Terminator. I didn't is say an Terminators. I said just the Terminator. I said the original one. I didn't say the term all the Terminator oh, okay. films. Okay, all right. So all right. calm down. 
You watch your horror. Yeah, mouth. obviously things take a take a turn with Terminator Two when because they decided it's like at that point, oh, we're franchising this. Yeah. So then and it's I like think, okay, we need sorry. a better story. No, no, go on. I was going to say before Terminator Two, one of the big things that James Cameron had some limitations with special effects before, and he's been he's been renowned for saying, you know, don't set limitations for yourself as an artist. Other people are going to do that for you, especially studio people and things like that. So. I think when it came, when it, I think the Abyss was the first big breakthrough he had with technology because the Abyss, the liquid um, alien at the bottom of the ocean, was the first soft surface CGI character in a movie, yeah. and he kind of pioneered that with that, which they 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 uh, made way better when they did the T one thousand in T two, for sure. And he wanted to do a T one thousand type character in the first Terminator, yeah. but he didn't have the technology at the time. And yeah. that's a, that is absolutely a common thread throughout his entire career is truly the technology that goes behind it. I mean when you look at Titanic and a lot of his work on these undersea documentaries, because yeah. he's all about that. Get that um, out of abyss. It's yeah. a lot of that is because of the level of technology that he's been able to build up while filming these movies he's been absolutely important to people who study the depths of the ocean because of the camera work and the um, deep sea rovers that he's been able to to help pioneer so yeah i mean like uh, just a few years ago he made the he helped create the the underwater vessel that could actually get to the deepest point of the mariana trench that's amazing yeah Yeah. i kind of consider him more of a a scientific filmmaker. He's, he's an engineer. Yeah. He, he's, you know, he, and that's what he was originally going yeah. to school for. Physics. Yeah, he was a physics. Well, he was a yeah. physics major. But when you so, so when you get a degree in physics, you're usually going yeah. there oh, yeah. because you get... And then he he got inspired to really get into the film industry because of Star Wars. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was... So he gets mm-hmm. into it, and I really feel like, I mean, let's be honest, Star Wars inspired these major films that were more about the uh, shock and awe and the action and the just... Uh, big widescreen effects rather than storyline, rather than sure. plot development. It was really more about just the action and the adventure. Um, yeah, he's a visual storyteller. Those are those are definitely Cameron's staples in his films. It's more visually stunning and more visually compelling than it is character driven, you yeah. know, or or plot heavy. Yeah. That being said, though, I don't think. That there's necessarily, and I might be crucified for this, but I don't think his <laughs> stories are necessarily weak. I think that they are maybe they're just light. Is the best is yeah, a better way. That's a good I, way. I would argue it. that Avatar is his weakest story. Well, that's because he was copying a large. Yeah, part no, of it. I mean yeah. absolutely, it was the same story we've seen over and over very again. Kind of a, it was, yeah. And uh, and was, to be fair, a lot of movies are like that. that. <gasps> a lot of movies do recycle a lot of the same frameworks and the same even themes. Like you were saying, it's it's Pocahontas or it's. Uh, uh, what was the other one? <laughs> what was the other one they said it was like? Dances uh, with Wolves. Dances oh, with yeah. Wolves. Dances, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, Fern but Gully, the thing is, is if you, kind of, you could be a better a filmmaker one, yeah. by masking that, by yeah. by creating your story yeah. in a way that people don't realize it. When it's that painfully obvious is when I think it needed work. Yeah. Oh, and you could argue Titanic was like Aladdin. Eh, sure. you know, it's also a lot like Romeo and Juliet on a... Well, on a yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's the... Of, again, a very similar story, love between the classes. It's, mm-hmm. I, I feel like... Class war. I feel like there's... I mean, it's hard to tell an original story these days anyway. And yeah. what do they say? There's only seven stories that have ever been told. It's all about love. So, well, if you're talking about Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but when you... 
there are ways to draw it out more. Titanic felt like a unique love story at the time because of its setting. And because of Leo's hair. And because of Leo's hair. And because and, of Leo. And, <laughs> you know, yes. But, I mean, let's also not forget that Fox had made one or two Titanic films in the past, too. This yes. was kind of an older subject that they... Yeah. I don't know if they threw that at him or if he actually came to them with it. No, he but, wanted to do it. It was it was all him. He had been in the it, works wanting to make this movie for a long it time. It was, but yeah. he, he didn't want to make the movie as much as he wanted 20th Century Fox to pay for him <laughs> to take a submersible down to, well, <laughs> to the Titanic. He wanted that more. Like he, he actually heard him say it in that TED Talk. He's like, I really wanted to go and explore the Titanic, so I came up with the idea of making this epic Titanic movie so that they pay for me to go down there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean he he really had a bit of a, an obsession with oh yeah with the Titanic at that point. So Sarah, finish your point though about he's had a lot of he's had a lot of writing credits that didn't quite necessarily mean directing credits. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped write Terminator Two, but he didn't mm-hmm. direct Terminator Two. I don't think. No, he did. He did. He did. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. well, I'm wrong on that. Um, he had uh, there was one movie credit that he, yeah, he that he wrote the treatment for and then the script was completely credited to somebody else and well there's also what that one was. I'd, l- I'd love to talk about as we get once we get into more of him being established because he also was for a long time attached to do a spider-man film yes that's what it <gasps> yeah, was, it was thank Spider-Man. god he did yeah so he, he did he did the treatment for the spider-man film and then scriptment is actually what it was it was a weird hybrid of both yeah, script and treatment. Well, because the, the guy who ended up writing the script took a lot of his treatment word for word. David Coop did borrow some elements of it. Yeah, um, the one thing that he did that really did carry over. Um, the reason I say that is because in the in Cameron's script there were to- totally different villains. Mm. Um, but um, the the thing the one thing that did carry over was the organic web shooters. Yeah, and that was did, that was Cameron's idea originally. And they didn't give Cameron any credit for. Well, that, but it wasn't his script. Yeah. Like it was ultimately David Coop who did enough of the changes to make it his own yeah. script. So, I mean, I, I get yeah. that. At the same time, every fan out there who ever followed this development of Spider-Man, which was, which mm-hmm. was over 20 years in the making. Um, Speaking of screenplays, by the way, we, lest we forget, let's dial it back to 1986. He wrote the story and did the screenplay for Aliens. Brian, I, I know you can't that. really speak to this, but, but that's probably top three of his movies. For I me. mean, I can quote lines from the movie, and I haven't even seen the movie, because that's how popular that movie I, is. I was actually just about to talk about that, Sean, because of the fact that um, he, not only with doing Aliens, but also because he was the producer behind the TV series Dark Angel. Oh, yeah. Um, got Alba. Yeah, and then if you look at Terminator 2, there was kind of like that theme for a while that he was really running on of having um, badass women. Yeah. Um, yep. Kind of kicking ass and taking names. I mean, which he married is, a lot of them. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> uh, which is awesome. And um, I know a lot of people were not not thrilled with the idea of him doing Aliens. Um, a lot of the actors, not necessarily Sigourney Weaver, but a few of the other actors thought that um, he was a sorry substitute for um, you Ridley know, Scott. Of Ridley Scott. Oh yeah. And you know, I <laughs> and also the fact that a lot of them hadn't seen Terminator and <laughs> didn't quite understand what he could do. And he came in and he freaking knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yep. Aliens is flipping fantastic. One of the best in the genre. But as far as I understand, it also kind of switched the genre around, right? It went from sci-fi horror to being more like action-adventure sci-fi. It, it did. Sci-fi. It did. I could dig it. Yeah, yeah it, it and, kind of blew it up a little bit. And, it, I mean, had had we seen... I think he brought the female action hero into the mainstream in a way that, like, I don't think we see it as much today as well as it was done in that movie. And then before that, what was it like? Female action movies were what? Like B-movies in the 50s and shit? Yeah. 
like mm. Barbarella or well, I mean, something like I that. I think Lucas yeah. has a hand in that too because Princess Leia is anything but a damsel in distress in the Star mm. Wars True. films. Mm-hmm. And she's definitely a strong female character. And but would you say that she was like this? That's also, I mean, it's, would I you consider sh- that an ensemble movie? Because it... I mean, I wouldn't say that it was like a quintessential thing and she wasn't the hero, the hero of the movie. Um, I think Alien definitely had a bigger hand in that, making somebody mm. the hero of the sure. movie. But at the same time, um, it was dancing on the line between hero versus scream queen kind of mm-hmm. thing because yeah. of the tone of Alien. Right. And then Aliens turned it into a badass action hero. And then know? didn't Alien 3 basically bring it kind of back into the horror Kind of yeah, phase. Alien Three went a little bit more back into the horror um, yeah. scope of it. Yeah, I mean, he's only directed nine movies. He's had, but he's had oh, yeah. such a span of a career in the film industry. Period. Yeah. And, and the ones, you know? the ones that he's done, the yeah. ones that he has directed, yeah. with the exception, I think, of you know, Piranha Two, <laughs> and, on, and arguably The Abyss. The yeah. Abyss is a very important for a lot of people, but mm. like, of the nine films that he's done, arguably seven of them are very important movies. Fuck yeah, yeah. you know. It's it is really interesting that he kind of I I just to me I'm just so baffled as to why he's putting all this effort into these Avatar movies then yeah because it's he like must just be really passionate about the content well that also I'm sure Fox gave him a huge green light to to do that and maybe he wants to expand the 3D technology even further and the computer he's technology a huge even environmentalist as well so yeah. there's a and huge a environmental sorry he's a vegan and now a too vegan. Yeah. Yeah. he went yeah, vegan so... in 2012. It's his kind of passion project for that sort of thing. Well, and in that sense, I mean, there's definitely a very heavy-handed uh, conservationist theme to oh, yeah. Avatar. And so, um, and I know from those in the green movement, like, the, it's, they, there's this sense that we're getting ever so closer to the Rubicon. Um, and the anything Rubicon? we, the, uh, the point of no return. Yep. If, in in regards to what? In regards to the survival demise of the or, existence of, of humanity. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're coming up on the finish line. I hear you. Yeah. Well, no, not necessarily the finish line, but the point of no return to whereas we have done so much damn damage. We may not even be able to fix to it this or planet that we won't it. be able to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there's this sense that the 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 what what's unfortunate is that the people who support that movement, their voices are getting louder. But that also means the opposition and the people who have now bought into the climate denial uh, propaganda and stuff like that is, and I mean, guys, it is propaganda. There's it, the science is very clear about it. Um, and it's also mic, because oh, there, it's okay. I'm going to say this. I'm going <laughs> to say this, and I apologize if this offends anybody. But that's because all the people speaking for those people are old, rich, white Christians that are all just looking forward to heaven and don't give a fuck what happens to the earth after they die. They just want all the money they can before it fucking happens. And they're also getting a huge paycheck from Coke International, which is the biggest. Yeah, one of the biggest you know, there's there's a lot of in the world. a lot of people mm-hmm. who don't care about what happens in the <laughs> long term survival of the planet. Yeah, I've. I and I've heard that I've literally heard that from the most interesting walks of life of many different ethnicities and <laughs> and political beliefs and all that other stuff and I just it's awfully short sighted I feel yeah <laughs> yeah well that's gonna change in a few years um, is, and I don't mean to alarm anybody or anything like that I don't mean to get on a soapbox or anything like that but what I mean by I mean by that is that if he's gonna use art as his means to make that message louder, then that that actually makes sense to me why he would want to invest all this money into doing four more Avatar movies. If his if his if his intention is to save the planet through art, okay. Like it's kind of weird, but sure, go for it. 
Speaking of which, those four Avatar movies, uh, which is linked into part of his environmentalism, he's created these crazy solar panels that are in like the shape of a flower that actually turn. They're huge solar panels that are kind of in the shape of a flower that turn with the sun so that you can get a better yield of energy throughout Mm -hmm. the day. And he's going to be using those to make these four Avatar sequels the first movies that will be 100% solar powered. Wow. Damn. See, and... Again, I feel like the technological achievements and the messaging behind it, all that stuff, awesome. I just wish there was maybe more effort put into, more substance into, into the, the story. Yeah. Well, what I they mean, should do is pair him up with somebody who's really good at writing the stories and stuff, but I think maybe that, like, but he's, having that much control over his stories is a little too much for his ego. He can't maybe? do it. No, yeah. no. And, like, let's, let's actually talk about that because James Cameron has quite a reputation in Hollywood, of being a bit of a control freak, uh, egomaniacal, being an egomaniac, lady and, killer, and being awfully demanding, and mm-hmm. having perfectionist, yeah, and having very little sympathy for the people in his cast and crew. Oh yeah, um, he, many actors have claimed they would never work with him again unless they paid them a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think specifically Kate Winslet said that. Oh, yeah. Um, And I know a lot of uh, crew members, I heard an anecdote that on one film, um, he put, he had a nail gun and he would nail people's cell phones to the wall if the cell phone rang <laughs> during during shooting or it whatever. sounds like some shit I would do if I and He insists <laughs> that any actor that's in a movie for him has to audition for him. Yeah. It yes. doesn't matter how big they are, how good mm-hmm. they are. They I mean, that, audition. that I'm okay with. I mean, to be totally fair, <laughs> yeah. speaking now from someone who's a little more like involved with that process, I mean, there's always a point where you get behind, in front of a director. Um, it's just whether you go through a casting director first or not. Um, and sometimes you may, yeah, if you're at a good point in your career, you have a meeting with the director where you talk about the film. But sometimes the meeting is, here, I'd like you to read something from the script. I want to know if this is right. Yeah. You know? yeah. His quote is, people call me a perfectionist, but I'm not. I'm a rightist. I do something until it's right, and then I move on to the next thing. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, a little eh. self-serving. I really like that we started talking about how difficult he was to work with in the past because I think he's kind of moved on from that. Oh. Uh, specifically with the last, I mean, the last movie he made was seven years ago. It was Avatar. But he said that he's approached Avatar in a much different way than he approached all of his other movies because he did take that big break between Titanic and Avatar to do all of his underwater exploration. Well, underwater and he said, exploration and to build up the 3D um, yeah, filming technology. and to build up the 3D thing. So he said when he went into these underwater, these small spaces with people and and learned how these small crews worked with each other, that he learned a whole lot about how important it is for you to respect your crew and to have them respect you above all things. And he did say in the TED Talk that I watched that he has applied that to his filmmaking now, which he said made Avatar a much better experience for him and he thinks his other actors and his other crew because he, he realized that that should be at, at the highest priority. That's interesting. Cause mm-hmm. I, and I feel like, – because he's worked with, you know, obviously repeat actors before. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, collaborative sure. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. He's, Bill Paxton. Yeah. Michael uh, Bean. Michael Bean, Schwarzenegger. Bine. Linda Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, he made Sigourney's career, let's be honest. Yeah, I think Bill Paxton is like Alien. the one actor who's in Ridley Scott much... made Sigourney. Oh, like, shit, let's not right. go there. Alien well, made her okay. career. Ghostbusters. Isn't... Ivan Reitman made Sigourney Weaver's okay. career. Okay. Isn't, isn't Bill Paxton kind of like the one actor he will put in like every single one of his movies? I'm sure. Isn't he like one of the cats? One I of the feel blue like cats yeah, I feel like, but it's interesting because obviously there's something to his style that works 
with those particular actors. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know, like, Sigourney Weaver in particular loves being challenged and likes it when her directors are a little bit more, you know, tougher. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dickish. So it, it, it's just, I think it is just really fascinating. It, yeah. Obviously, working styles are, yeah. are different for everybody, yeah. and you kind of have to have what you yeah. can mesh with. But it, it is a, yeah. of the role of the director is to also make sure that they're eliciting the best performances out of their actors and probably hopefully doing it in a way that works for them and doesn't like (laughs) harangue them into doing it yeah that's true (laughs) i think arnold schwarzenegger is interesting that the they because that's obviously a very powerful personality too and i think it's interesting because i don't know if it's either that schwarzenegger shares cameron's sense of perfectionism within his own scope or if he's just more laid back and is okay with people who are more uh, aggressive in their well, personality types. Apparently, Cameron said that he was terrified to start shooting Terminator because because of, he was afraid that he Arnold was afraid would punch of Arnold. Yeah. yeah, he <laughs> didn't know how he was going to work with Arnold if it yeah. was going to work out, but it turned out working out great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out I remember watching some funny bit with uh, this is kind of a tangent. I apologize, but um, Dana Carvey was talking about how he because he's friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger and <laughs> naturally he has one of the best impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and he met up with him when he was still the governor of California. And he saw them do this trick at this press conference where, like, the, the press was giving him a question and he was just kind of doing this, you know, his normal, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and all these things and all that stuff. And he says he does that and it's, it drives the press insane. So, like, he, he has this always, there's always this kind of sense that Schwarzenegger is kind of messing with you. Like, yeah, he, yeah. he likes to, he, he gets some enjoyment from just, like, fucking with people so yeah, he fucked with the whole state of california for a while <laughs> they, thought, they thought i could do this they thought i was better than Greg davis <laughs> um so i just think i imagine that that kind of guy would get along very fairly well with james cameron because he would just kind of acquiesce and then he might just be mind fucking james cameron at the same time <laughs> can we talk about something right now that we have we've only now mentioned in passing but haven't actually talked about what yes ma'am Fucking true lies. Oh my god. Oh, thank true you. Lies. Thank you. <laughs> That's one of my favorite James Cameron movies and probably like top ten action movies ever. It's for me. it is so it's my it's probably my favorite Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, it is because it's the most it's his some of his best acting. It's the most solid story of any of his I would say maybe okay, some people would argue, disagree with this. I think for the complete, you know, action packed movie that it is, yeah. that it's completely just action adventure fluff. It's still got a really solid story. It's so funny. I it's, mean, it helps that it's a remake of a French film. La yes. Total. It's very, very funny. It's got some great actors in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Charlton Heston has an awesome cameo. Yeah, mm-hmm. Charlton this Heston with an eye patch. lifting my Sold. skirt, gentlemen. Um, Tia Carrere, Eliza Tia Carrere is awesome. Young Eliza Tom Gushu. Arnold. Tom, Tom Arnold, of course. Tom Arnold's only good movie. Oh my god, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hello, did you not see Meet the Stupids? <laughs> it's just <laughs> called Cinematic The Classic. Stupids. And yes, that's how I learned that rollerblades are faster than a car because they have eight wheels. <laughs> it's <has> four wheels. <laughs> oh, god. oh my god. Uh, I just, I mean, and there's just, there's so many Arnoldisms in that movie. It's a cultural icon. Obviously, there's the famous, you filed. There's, no, Dana! 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 Uh, but the best part is when he gets the truth serum. Oh. That's my question you wouldn't want me to like. <laughs> it's the Brian impression that always gets me. Do Are we going to die? Do it. Yep. They're going to shoot us in the head or they're going to torture us to death. <laughs> or they're going to leave us here for when the body hey! blows up. They're going to do it. Is it working? Ask me a question. <laughs> Are we going to die? 
Yep. Uh. <laughs> and then I'd say it's working. That's sad. Yeah, and that was also one of the first movies where James Cameron got to utilize all of this brand new technology that wasn't available to too many people. I don't think he created it as much, but like that's when you that was the era where you started to see mat lines disappear because you didn't have to do uh, like an, you didn't have to utilize analog stuff even after you did digital things. You could like the the um, the heat coming off the Harrier jet, things like that. Yeah. Can I can I issue a small correction with that? I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that math started to go away. I started. I would say that they were being modified. The mats were being done in the computer. No, but I'm saying is mat lines started. To, you didn't ever. You couldn't ever see mat lines. Is like that. You were starting to not be able to see the lines for matting. Yeah, because what would happen is instead of you compositing a mat shot with, for those who don't know what mat is, mat is basically it's painting. It's a painting yep. of a scenery that's being composited with a an actual live action shot. Mm-hmm. And um, for many years, the mat painters were brilliant at this. And up until like 1992, 1993, there were still major, major motion pictures that were still using mat painting comp- comp- composition. Um, but with Cameron being so adamant about computer technology, um, computer matting is now is now the standard. Um, to the point now where you don't even notice it, and it's in almost every fucking movie Damn. now because it's so inexpensive to produce now. Um, so much so that pretty much um, when they do like a cityscape for a movie and they do it on a back lot, they pretty much only build the first two floors, two stories of a building. Yeah, everything Because they're going to mat everything yeah. else in, in post. Oh, no kidding. So uh, mm-hmm. did so much for the industry. Yeah. God, and I mean, Titanic, I mean, not, not to divert from true lies, I mean, truly, but Titanic was up next, right? Yeah. He only took like... Yeah, so True Lies was in 94, Titanic was in 97. He takes his time between movies. He, he does. really does a lot. And, and the ones that he's directing, yeah. Right. Um, and I uh, actually bought the Titanic DVD um, with all the extra features. Nice. Like, you click it, and, like, it shows kind of a behind-the-scenes feature out of, like, each scene. And... I mean, God, do you Oh, remember? so wait, was it while you watched the movie, like, the icon will pop up? Yes, the icon will pop kind up. Kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I love those. It, there was so much information that the DVD was split into two DVDs. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. <laughs> big that fucking movie is. I mean, I remember honestly, that with tapes, but Jesus. Yeah. I know. I gotta remember that. Like, where you, like, you're watching, like, it was Titanic, or, like, like saving private Ryan or whatever at home and like all of a sudden you're like shit new tape get on with the story (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I mean Titanic is still that big where you can't even be held in one DVD format um but I loved all the behind the scenes featurettes for Titanic because there were so many technological advancements that were made and so many tricks that were done that you hadn't seen in film before didn't they build like a 17 million gallon like uh uh set that they could fill with water with like a 700 and something foot uh replica of Titanic in Mexico well, uh-huh. I think that's, that's what's, right. what's cool about the movie. I mean, obviously, because Cameron is such a perfectionist, there's this whole sense of detail and accuracy, right? Yeah. So because, yes, he did help get Fox to pay him millions of dollars to go build the submersible to go down and look at the ruins of the Titanic. Because of that, he also advanced what we knew about the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And Shit. to the point where, like, you see those brilliant shots where, like, they took the, the um, submersible shots of him going through the ruins and then blending that with... Oh, the finalized shots. That was so breathtaking. Because of that work, yeah. we've gotten more details of what the Titanic looked like and yeah. felt like than we've ever than we'd ever known by that point. Yeah. So that's huge. And I, I do it really did spark something. There was something really I don't know. There was something about when that movie came out, yeah. how it came out, that just truly sparked something in pop culture because I mean, then there were like more documentaries, magazines, specials, tours, like museum yeah. tours, all about the Titanic. Yeah. And yep. 
And which a, I saw the one at, uh, when it was in Vegas. It was amazing. Yeah, nice. and and they're like, oh my god, that's the shark one that you of you and Casey. yeah, we took the picture on nice. <laughs> with the green screen behind us, but it Your shows face you on the front the of the shark Titanic. mask. And we had the shark masks on. We took nice. every photo that day because they tried to take your picture everywhere in Vegas and sell it to you. They're yeah. like, are you taking a piss? We're going to take your picture. Do you want to buy it when you get it to the end of the bathroom? It was hilarious. Though. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a – but there was just a certain level of obsession that that came out. And, I mean, then the fucking Celine Dion song oh and God. just – Yeah, and, I mean, she owes her whole career to him, doesn't so she? Does Leo. Like, her Vegas show – is the, that's what did it? Mm-hmm. No, well, I wouldn't say her entire career. I mean, I would say like it's her biggest hit of. No, of I, I, I wouldn't career, say though. one of the biggest hits. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna issue a correction one. there. I don't think Leo owes his career to James Cameron because if he hadn't taken Titanic, he would have found another project that would have elevated. Yeah, him. yeah, no, no, I'm not saying he but owes his career. I was Leo in the '90s because of Titanic. I, I thought he was Leo in the '90s because of Romeo and Juliet. I mean, that helped, mm. but this one, Romeo and Juliet, it. wasn't seen as much as Titanic was. No, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, I would argue that Titanic did more for his. Career, I'm just but saying, I, he would give he Shakespeare would, his fucking due, guys. Oh, no, yeah. and, it was, and whether and it was Leo Romeo and Juliet or Romeo and Juliet's Bad Cruise, either one. <laughs> It it elevated <laughs> Leo because of the way the cookie crumbled. Uh-huh. His career fucking took off because of this movie. Yep. So one cool fact about the filming that I really loved was that whole opening sequence of Rose getting on Jack and Rose getting onto the boat. Right. Oh yeah. It, the whole thing, like the entire set, everything was flipped. Mm-hmm. So they had all the writing on the ship and everything. It was like all yeah. written backwards because it was going to be the mirror image on camera. Right. And I don't really remember the reasoning why they had to film everything backwards. But like, oh, I think it's because he wanted the ship to look exactly the way it was. That's and it. the ship that they were the dock they report they were using was on the opposite side. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, talk right. about commitment. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The detail. Yeah, seriously. It's a mind fuck. It was really and cool. And none of us will ever get the image of that guy hitting the propeller on the way down oh, out of oh. our head. Like, uh, because yeah. the, uh, the yeah. attention to detail there, we had to have a guy flip when off I, the propeller. When I was a kid and saw that movie, um, the one scene that always stuck in my mind actually gave me nightmares uh, was when the ship is completely submerged and uh, everything's underwater, right? Yeah. And there's a scene of a woman's body floating oh, in yeah. the water. Yeah. And it's just like the sad music playing. Yeah. And, like, I just had Whoa. this like... That image was just cemented into my, like, I think I was, like, eight or seven mm-hmm. or eight years old. Because um, it was 97, right? Yeah. yeah I was, like, eight. I was just, like, sitting there in the front row. I mean, my parents and I went and saw that film, like, three times together. Yeah. Like, I mean, everyone was at the theater mm-hmm. during when well, the movie came out. We may have mentioned this before, but even though Titanic is no longer the... Highest grossing film of all time. There are still records <laughs> that no film to this date has beaten. One what of about adjusted was... for inflation? Well, not just that. No, not just adjusting for inflation because okay. even adjusting for inflation, it doesn't take the top spot. Um, but it, like, there, it was number one at the box office for 14 weeks in a row. Yep. No film has come close to that since then. Like, Dark Knight came a little bit closer, and bit. and Avatar came a little bit closer too. But again, not, none of them were able to hit that record. Something about the timing of releasing it in February, March. When it's the dump month period of filmmaking to make this giant film, it kind of just was able to sail through all the way till summer. You know no what pun I'm intended. Say right. You know <laughs> what I'm gonna say about that? Thank God it, was it wasn't steam- a late no, August it was release, a Brian. If it was a late August release, <laughs> it would have been. It would. It would have. It would have killed. It still would have killed. It still would have killed. <laughs> okay. All right. Got that out of my system. <laughs> I. I want to posit a theory. 
uh, a hypothesis, if you will. I thought you meant pause it as in like pause the episode. Yeah, yeah, pause no, the shit. No, no, I, I want to I wanna pause it. I, I have a hypothesis here that I feel like the reason why Titanic and Avatar made so much damn money <laughs> is because, you know, when you're making that decision of what movie do I see in the theaters, you yeah. go with the one that has the most spectacle because that's the one that you feel like you have to see on the big screen. Ooh, yeah, yeah sure. true. So I'm willing to argue, specifically with Avatar, probably a little bit with Titanic, is that you got to see the hype on those visual effects like ASAP. So see them in the theater when you can really appreciate them. I mean, James Cameron is the king of spectacle at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, he yeah. kind of Michael Bay, George Lucas. Michael Bay... <sighs> Yeah. Credit like... credits James Cameron as a big, yeah. a big oh, yeah. like inspiration. I mean, in fact, I think it was James Cameron that told him to go 3D with uh, okay. uh, the Transformers 3D movie. Which one was that? I think it was the third. Dark one. of the Moon or whatever. Yeah, Dark the, the side third of one. The yeah, whatever. So it's like yeah. George Lucas, James Cameron, Michael Bay. Like, yeah, they're kind of the holy trinity of spectacle. spectacle. Film. Well, and there's a lot of people who I think in the film snob world. Uh, and I include us in that 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 number. Um, Ooh, we're as, snobs. As being film mm. snobs. Um, but there are some people who I think are still hold on to the Aristotelian idea that... Oh, well, who would it tell The Aristotelian... Oh, as in Aristotle. Aristotle. Oh, my God. Um, that's adorable. That they hold on, hold on to this idea that spectacle is the least important element of theatrical or dramatic storytelling. I mean, I, I personally subscribe to that, but I know... Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. womp, womp. And I think there's, there's value to that. At the same time, I also think that Aristotle was was because he was talking about his time period and the limitations of what spectacle could actually do sure. in ancient Greece. Yeah. No, there was no photography at that point. There was really no painting. There was sculpture, right. and there was a couple. Of, there was, there was a, painting. Well, yeah, wall painting, like wall painting yeah, and frescoes. frescoes yeah. Yes, but what I'm saying is that the the art forms of that have advanced so much now beyond what. Aristotle, maybe not what he could comprehend, but maybe what he w- was able to speak about to his time period. I mean, that I think that that argument needs to, we have to have a discussion about where is spectacle's relevance now? Because honestly, it is, I think, an equal element to the other elements now. It's just, it's a question of whether you use it correctly or not. And I think yeah. Michael Bay is an example of somebody who does not use spectacle correctly. No. Nope. I mean, it's like what Spielberg says about how like a hundred years from now, it's going to cost like $5,000 to watch a movie. Well, and you it's, know. and it's one of those things also kind of understanding the industry and where we are. And the fact that so much of Hollywood has to get exported to China and other countries where yes. spectacle wins right. because mm-hmm. it's much less to translate. <laughs> and and it yeah. you know, explosions explosions work everywhere. But not only that, but think about what you just said though. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You're saying you're telling a story with images. No, I know. I'm not and saying that's, it, there's a universal yeah. quality. I'm not saying to that. it but I feel like there is a way to do I think there's a certain level of spectacle that assumes that the audience is stupid. Oh yeah. So well, that's 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 the fault of the director. Yeah. So I I feel like when you're dumbing it down to you know kaboom flashbang like that, that's not awesome. I feel like you don't have to dumb down a story in order to translate it, Sean. I'd like to use comic books as a fucking example here. Think about it. The best comic books out there, of which there are millions of issues of comic books, the best ones, the most memorable ones, are ones that have really amazing art and actually do have a really good story. Yeah. You have to have both. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's point. true. And I feel like that's where Avatar is lacking. 
Hmm. Yeah. And so, oh, but speaking of which, Avatar comic book series and Avatar Land at Disney World also in the works. Yeah. Avatar Jeez. Land at Disney World? Yep. It's actually being built already. Yep. <laughs> it's happening. I thought it was happening at Universal, though. No, no, no. No, it's happening in Disney World. Why oh, would okay. it happen at Disney World? It's not Disney World. I don't know why. Well, Disney World, Disney got a hold of a bunch of shit before it was theirs. Indiana Jones, Star Wars. True. And Disney yeah. World, because of Hollywood Studios, they've been able to do projects of things that weren't necessarily theirs, but they got mm. in partnership with. So, I mean. Interesting. I buy that. Yeah, fascinating. Well, So, should we wrap up? Go why don't we go that. ahead and get into some feedback? Listener feedback. Yeah. So, Steven from Motion Picture Meltdown, I had to let him know that we were doing a James Cameron episode because he's a big fan of a lot of his movies. And I was like, hey, dude, if you want me to like put anything in the episode for you, he goes, oh, awesome. <laughs> and so he says, James Cameron holds a special spot in my heart. Piranha 2 was one of MPM's first podcasts. T2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. He said he actually played music from the Abyss in marching band in high school. Nice. And the Jamie Lee Curtis scene from True Lies was the hottest thing since sliced bread when I was a kid. However... Stop announcing Avatar sequels. No one gives a shit. <laughs> Which we Case touched on briefly. In point. Thank you, Steven. Did you guys see the thing that Ben Baker uh, posted on our Facebook back in March? Um, he posted the picture. It says, the caption reads, the form my quote-unquote hater message shall take. And it's a paper that reads, coming August 26, 2016, verisimilitude, an ode to nerdonomy. <laughs> I oh, that's it. awesome. <laughs> so great. Um, oh, we Benjamin. hope you enjoyed Brian's fucking word of the day things he dropped for everybody on this episode. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The new one today was... Uh, Aristotelian. Aristotelian. Yeah. Um, Love it. And yeah, which I'm releasing in my book, The Sacrosanct Verisimilitude. Of the Aristotelian, of, of Aristotelian, of Aristotelian values. Of poetics, this sort of thing is my bag, baby. Coming <laughs> late August. By Brian Coco Moriarty. Brian Coco Moriarty. <laughs> Yeah. So, do, do I didn't know you had a Studio 54 August 29th, <laughs> 2016. <laughs> so good. You can get it on Amazon. Um, so we, right. we, we, we pre-order for, <laughs> pre for release in late August. <laughs> you, um, you can, so we do have one piece of feedback. I actually think this is that might be the only one we have from the email. We can get it a pull up from the social media for next episode. Um, his name is Redacted. As in, like, that's what he wrote down. Oh, this shit. <laughs> email, Mr. Dot, who doesn't give out his email at please.com. Oh, boy. Uh, subject, Batman jokes. Uh, hello, I'm a huge fan of yours and think all of you are awesome. Keep up the good work. Oh. Though, personally, I would be interested to know what each of you do outside of the podcast so my cardboard cutouts in my room will have more story about their lives. <laughs> nice. Though, oh, that's why I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> though, honestly, I think you're you're great and would I would like to know more about you. Uh, you guys i would also include i will also include some jokes that you will definitely find offensive but hopefully laugh a little as you die a little uh here's two of them <laughs> these are fucked up uh the make-a-wish foundation that little fucker has six months to die or else <laughs> the make-a-wish foundation we better see a dead body or we'll make one these are right up Sean's alley. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew Sean was going to laugh at that one. Yes. Wow. Fucker. <laughs> uh, for the record, you just say, I have no hatred for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but I think you're, they're doing a good job, I think. Um, so, Mr. Redacted, um, 
I don't you, see, you tell us nothing about yourself. You, yeah, that, I don't see any yeah. Batman jokes. Wanna, I don't see yeah. any Batman jokes in your email. So what no, the fuck, dude? I don't, exactly. I don't know. And you know what? At, at the same time, I appreciate this feedback because it gives me inspiration for us to update our fucking website. True. I guess we yeah. have not done in a minute. And funny enough, Brian is actually Batman when he's not doing the podcast. <laughs> right. Seriously. You know, I told people when I was five that I would eventually grow to be Batman. <laughs> Why do you think I left my day job? I fell upon a billion dollars. That's true, because you kept trying to put our parents in situations where they would die. They're like, hey, you should come to the end of this cliff with me. I, I just I just find it really interesting that you're asking for all of our backstories and what we do outside the podcast when we don't even know your name. Yeah. Well, yeah, you I know think what? It's, I, if it's, I'll tell them what I do, I don't care. You got to take you us out to dinner before you fuck us. Mr. Redacted. I mean, I'll be honest, like, do you have uh, pictures of Jodie Foster card- in your room? Uh-huh. I'm just curious. Yeah. My cardboard yeah. cutout will be the only one with a backstory. <laughs> Okay, so in my spare time, I harvest and tan hooker skins, and uh, I sell them to Chinese people who are transgendered and can't afford surgery so that they can, you know, it's this way they could be a woman by being inside a woman, you know. Oh, wow. Wow, Sean. <laughs> we learned something new okay, about no, you Okay, no, but for real, uh, I work at a brew pub in Colorado, and I uh, uh, three days a week I bartend. The rest of the time I run all of their social media and create videos and infographics and other shit like that. I'm furiously masturbate in your nerd cave. Yep. Oh, and we also own another restaurant that's like a hipster bar that does uh, farm-to-table stuff and like craft cocktails, and I run that social media. Which is too. pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah it's an awesome restaurant. Really cool. I've been there. Every single time I've seen one of your like little videos about like, ooh, here's our new drink. I'm like, I want to go to there. I know. <laughs> yeah, the drinks are ridiculous. Yeah, um, Sarah, do you want to share what you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm a clog dancer by trade. Um, <laughs> Lord of the clogs. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I work in fundraising um, for a nonprofit um, local to the Bay Area um, that specializes in animal welfare. There you go. Well, you know, funny that you bring up cardboard cutouts because I wasn't kidding about being Batman. I actually have a full cardboard cutout of Gotham City. That I've been working on for ever, and um, for his Batman cosplay. Exactly. Wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you serious? Because that's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and it's life size, and you, so you know, like when I'm not it's defending life size, <laughs> casual. So, I bought a city so I could replace it with cardboard. City. <laughs> so when I'm not when I'm when I'm not defending New Gotham City from the forces of evil, um, I call cardboard it cardboard forces of evil that you've uh, created. <laughs> Uh, and punching out cardboard Joker, um, I do. Um, I do freelance technical support um, and tutoring, uh, while other than, and of course some professional actor for commercial and for stage. So yeah, buddy. Yeah. And I work also for a nonprofit agency for children um, as a marriage and family therapist and. Uh, professional clinical counselor intern so i have two intern licenses right now and i'm working on uh, getting licensed in both to be able to work as a uh mostly child centered therapist working with uh teenagers kids and their families um and i'm also a headshot photographer like yes actually with- oh roxy's God, headshots she- have been getting me cast so, in the series uh, my, my headshot from roxy is on the yeah. website yeah. sarah your yep. pictures are hot. We need a, we need some updates. Yeah, girl. I need a we new do. professional. You can check them out at yeah. facebook.com backslash Roxy Noberry Photography. Um, I also and... think, yeah, they, which is, your, check it all out because Roxy is an amazing photographer. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I mean, headshots are good, but you also have really, just a really good eye and really good image composition. 
appreciate that, dude. Yeah, I mean, there's I like I really like uh, co-running the Instagram with you, Sean, because I think <laughs> our taste in like photography and like all like nerd cave action shots mm-hmm. and like weird memes, like we make. Speaking a good of which, team. take a nerd cave action shot right now. <laughs> no, you Should know we? what? I'll send you one of my fucking Snapchats, can, and you can, can post that shit like you do. I don't do Snapchat because I'm not 14 and or I don't have you know suspenders on and a handlebar mustache. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Sean, can I just say, um, nice move getting my ridiculous Snapchats on the Instagram without me knowing? Because I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> At the same time, I can appreciate it. Are you guys Snapchatting each other? No, well... No, I don't Snapchat. No, I sent it to you guys I, in the, I'm not in the text Snap- thread. Oh, Remember? Okay. Oh, maybe. I was like, this is me at my best. No, but when you do a Snapchat video, it saves it on your phone, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I don't Snapchat. I love photographing people, but I, like... I hate getting photographed, so usually when I like post selfies, is because I'm like, yeah, I look ridiculous enough on my own terms, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm not afraid to look ridiculous, so I like making people look pretty. Yeah, yeah. and you mm. do such a good job. Thanks. So there's a well, there's the little bit about us. Um, so if you feel like trying to extract more personal information from us through direct questioning, uh, you can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking that talk to us button. Or you can hit us up on social media. You can go to Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter and just search for Nerdonomy. You will find us. I promise you that. Um, While you happen to be perusing our website, if you feel like popping your head on over to the merchandise area and picking up a t-shirt, that would be super freaking rad. Um, Or you can donate if you just feel like it. But the most important thing you can do is tell your friends all about us. Give us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast format you're getting this thing. Um, Just spread the word of nerd like a big hefty bird turd. Black. Oh yeah. yeah, like a bird that was up all night drinking Jägermeister and had moons over Miami at Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at four in the morning. Like four in the morning. That. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't lived, Brian. You That's awfully lived. specific. There are pigeons yeah, no that kidding. party harder than you, Brian. Deal with it. <laughs> all right. Good stuff. Uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Peace outside. You filed. And roll credits. Now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. They're going to shoot us in the head or they're going to torture us to death. (laughs) (laughs) Done.